we will be taking up communion, uh, but that won't be until after the sermon. Um, normally, yes, here at First Baptist we do do it uh, before I preach, but I figured that since today I'm going to preach on communion, uh, or about communion, that uh, we should do communion afterward. Um, not that there's a lot of misconceptions about communion, but I think it's important that we understand why we do it and, and, and such. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 17 through 34. Uh, this is the passage of Scripture that you go to unless you're going to go into the Gospels and look at the actual Last Supper. Um, uh, this is the passage that you go to. And Paul here talks about communion and why it's so important and really what the Corinthians, the, the, the church in Corinth, were doing wrong. And they were doing one or two things blatantly wrong to the point almost really of being evil. Uh, and you might say, Pastor, how can communion can be evil? Well, communion itself was not evil, obviously. But there was some evil in the hearts of the people and some wrongdoing in the hearts of the people in Corinth that Paul says, we got to take care of this. Uh, so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 17 through 34, and I'm going to read it. And again, uh, I read out of the New American Standard or the NASB, um, but whatever you've got with you in front of you, uh, of course, is, is fine. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 17 through 34. It reads, But in giving this instruction, I did not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. Uh, verse 23 now. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. Let's start there with that last bit. What are these remaining matters? Don't know. Paul doesn't say. He obviously had something very specific that he wanted to do and talk about with the people in Corinth that the Holy Spirit said it's not for everybody, that's for specifically the people in Corinth. So we're not going to get into, oh, what did he arrange with them? Don't know. Never really find out. But, so that's that last verse. So let's look at this though. Number one, what went wrong? What went wrong? 
He starts out this passage of scripture and he says, but in giving this instruction, what is this instruction? The previous uh, uh, 16 or so verses. And he talks about a lot of things, about such things as, uh, for a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image of the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. There's all kinds of stuff in there about men and women and proper uh, head covering, proper garments, all that kind of stuff. Modesty, things like that. He talks about all of that stuff in the previous verses. But then he goes, I gave you this instruction, but I'm not praising you because I hear that because when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions that exist among you. You see, he's giving this instruction, but he's not really giving it out of this, oh, this is so great. This church in Corinth is doing so well. No, the church in Corinth is actually doing quite bad. You see, they have allowed division to come into their ranks. Now, here's the thing. I'm not telling you you need to agree with everything that everybody says, right? I'm sure there are things that I have said, and I'm sure there are things that I will say in the future that you don't necessarily agree with, and that's okay. If we're coming at it from a biblical perspective and we can have that conversation, that's fine. There's going to be some differences. You know, we look at things like where Baptists and Pentecostals believe about gifts like tongues, stuff like that. The Bible's not fully clear sometimes on some stuff, and so there's going to be some disagreements, But disagreements and division are not the same thing. Division comes when you allow this wedge to be driven between you. If you believe in tongues and I don't, and we allow it to separate us, and now I'm speaking badly about you and you're speaking badly about me, and I'm trying to get people on my side and you're trying to get people on your side, you've sown this division and now the church is split. And churches have split over far less than something like that. And Paul, uh, elsewhere in scripture, he talks about, well, you say I follow Paul, and you say I follow this guy, and I follow that guy, and you say, well, I follow Jesus. And you're just being, you know, I talked about that about a year ago, and, and stuff like that. And he's saying, you allowed division to soak into you. And it means that all of my teaching is basically for naught. It's worthless, because you're too busy with this division. And that's the first thing that happened to them. They allowed this division to just soak through them and spread them apart. I'm not saying there isn't some time for some division. Somebody comes in your church and starts speaking that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Divide. Get them out of there. They come in and they start talking about, well, there's some other ways to heaven. No, there's not. On the thing scripture is 100% clear on. Jesus is the son of God and the son of man. He is 100% God, 100% man, came to earth, died, rose again, and is your only way to heaven. If somebody comes in and says something else, divide with them. If somebody comes in and doesn't like the fact that the pews are red, don't divide over that. That's not worth it. And so, so he says, listen, you were divided. And then he goes into talking about communion. Verse 20 down there, therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and one is drunk. And you might say, Pastor, how are these two things coincided? Let me tell you what has happened, right? So you've got, let's say one faction follows Paul, and let's say one faction follows Peter, because while those two, Paul and Peter, were in agreement, there were people that followed those sections. Let's say, let's put it in today's terms, you follow Jeremiah, and you follow Ravi Zacharias. They preach truth, but you're like, well, Ravi is so much better. And over here, you're like, well, David Jeremiah is so much better, right? Okay, and so here's what's happened, right? So now the group that follows David Jeremiah, because if you remember, 
back in this time, communion was not a little piece of bread or a wafer and a little cup of grape juice or I've got water here or wine. It was a full meal that you ate together. It was supposed to be a meal you ate together. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the way that we do it today. Times have changed and things have changed and it's still the heart behind it that matters the most. But this puts it into that context that back then they ate a full meal. We're Baptists, so let's put it in the Baptist world, right? Once a month, we're going to have a potluck. That sounds great, right? Sounds great to me. And so we're all together. But here's what happened. You say the potluck starts at 10. Well, the people who are following Jeremiah over here, they show up at 945 and eat everything. And the people that follow Ravi show up at 10 because they were told to show up at 10, and now all the food is gone. And the whole point of having this potluck is ruined. The whole point of having communion is ruined because it's communion. You come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And so what's happening is this division has caused people to, to, to discriminate against the other side. And Paul is saying you've completely missed the point. The whole point of the Lord's Supper, you've missed it. And that's why at the end, and we'll talk about this when we get there, but at the end he says, listen, if you're hungry, eat before you come. Stop at the drive-thru and eat a little something before you come so that you can wait for everybody to be there. So you don't have the excuse of, well, I was just so hungry, and man, those meatballs just look so good. Or that nondescript casserole that has a slightly odd smell coming off of it, that looks so good, I just couldn't resist it. Eat before you come. We'll get into that a little bit later. And so that's what's, went, that's what's gone wrong with the church here in Corinth. They've, it started with this division and it spread so far that now this thing that is supposed to bring the church together is actually splitting them apart now. We allow it, not God obviously, but we as humans allowed it to split us apart. And Paul is saying, essentially, let me put it in today's terms, are you an idiot? What is wrong with you? And then he goes, obviously, you're too stupid to understand. So let me tell you what the Lord's Supper actually is. That's number two. So number one is what went wrong. Number two, the Lord's Supper. And he goes through and he goes, let me recount the story because obviously you don't remember it. Everybody, including Judas, including Peter, including the other ten that leave him too, we're all seated around a table. And Jesus takes the bread, and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body, which will be broken for you. And everybody, including the betrayer, including the one who leaves and denies him, the denier, including the other ten that flee, all take up the bread together with Jesus. And then he goes, after the dinner, look, everybody's still there. Nobody's left yet. He takes the cup and he passes it around and he goes, this is my blood which has been shed for you. They're all together. And don't think it was lost. Oftentimes we don't think about the fact that at the first Lord's Supper, what we call the Last Supper, the one who would betray Jesus is there, Judas. The one who denies Jesus is there, Peter. And the ones who will leave him, not fully deny him, but run away, are there. Those are the people that take up the first communion and then Jesus. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time on, on that aspect of it. But he goes, listen, Paul says, you've forgotten. Allow me to remind you. Okay, now that I've reminded you, let's get into the instructions. Number one is what went wrong. Number two, the Lord's Supper. Number three, the instruction. 
Now, and I have said this, and I'm sure you all have heard this many times. Don't take up communion if there's sin in your heart. There's nothing wrong with that. I, 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 there's nothing wrong with saying that. You should not have sin in your heart, right? Like, like let's make that clear. And oftentimes, though, the verse that's used there to defend that is verse 28. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I myself, standing before you, have said, examine yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. I myself am also somebody, though, that loves context. So what is the context of examining yourself, though? What is the point of examining yourself? What's the real point? Let's jump to verse 27, the verse before that. Therefore, oh wait, one last thing before we move into this. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I explained to you what happened. Now let me just tell you, the whole point is you're proclaiming his death until he comes. That's the point. It's not your petty disputes. It's not, it's not who gets the best meatballs. You're proclaiming Christ. That's the point of communion. Paul makes that clear. Then he gives some instruction as to what you're supposed to do. Now let's jump into that. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself so he's worthy. Okay, what is this unworthy manner? What have we been talking about the whole time, right? He continues on. And he says down there, uh, he says further down, we're, I'm going to jump to verse 33 here. So then... My brethren, when you come together, wait for, any, for everyone, uh, excuse me, let me reread this. Verse 33, so then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. And then the remaining matters I will see. So here's the thing. An unworthy manner of taking up communion is division. Are you divided with your brethren? Now, yes, that can spring from some sin in your life and stuff like that. I'm not denying that fact. But the unworthy manner that Paul is referring to, the whole crux of this is you're unworthy because you're divided. Because you have this division between you guys that is not reconciled together. Now, we've turned that a little bit. And again, there's nothing wrong with this. I've heard it said many times, you know what, if you are unreconciled with somebody... Go reconcile with them, then take up communion. Or if it's not possible to do it beforehand, make it a point to do it afterward. And I think that's more the crux of what Paul is getting at here. Be reconciled together. It's one of the reasons why I am such a big proponent of waiting when we pass out the bread and then I say let's all partake together. So it's one motion, one body doing it at one time. Not, oh, here's yours. Okay, thank you. Here's yours. Okay, thank you. And I'm not saying there's something sinful about that. But I think personally, and again, it's a personal thing. I think that in all of us waiting to take it together, it shows us as a unified body. Which is the whole point of this thing. Be unified together in Christ. There's going to be some, some disagreements. There's going to be some, I'll use the word divisions but because I can't come up with a better one right this second. But there's going to be some times when you don't agree. That's okay. But have you allowed those disagreements to cause strife in your church? Have you allowed those disagreements to cause strife in your relationships? Have you caused those disagreements to cause strife in the world around you so that you are no longer proclaiming Christ until he comes? Now it's about, I gotta get there first to prove I'm better. And it's no longer about Christ. 
It's all about you. It's all about me. The whole point, he says it in verse 26 of communion, is proclaim Christ until he comes. So when you're not worthy, it's because your reason's not right. Examine your heart. Is your reason for taking up communion because everybody else is doing it? It's not a good reason. Is your reason for taking up communion because you're trying to appear holy and, 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 and sanctified and, oh, yes, I'm so great? That's not the right reason. Is your reason for taking up communion together because you recognize with your brothers and sisters in Christ that we're proclaiming him until he comes? It is your job, it is my job to proclaim him. We were given a solemn commission to proclaim Christ until he comes. I'm not saying that this makes sense to outsiders. It shouldn't. They're outsiders. Hopefully we can bring them inside and they, they understand. One of the things, I was reading an article this morning, this morning or last night, that we in the Christian church, the American Christian church, have watered everything down. The entire book, we've watered it down because we don't want to offend somebody. Or, you know, that seems a bit off the wall. That seems a bit weird. That seems a bit, oh, countercultural. And Jesus is going, yeah, it sure is. That's what I asked you to be. So what's your reason for taking up communion? We're going to take it up here now. And yeah, I recognize the fact that we're not technically taking it together. It's Thursday evening at right past 6 o'clock when we're recording this. So whenever you watch this, be it Saturday night when it gets posted, Sunday morning, sometime during the next week, maybe you go back and watch this six months from now. I don't know. And you're like, I'm going to take up communion. Yes, we technically, time-wise, will not be taking up communion together as one. But what's your heart doing? Because in my heart, yeah, I don't know when you're taking it up, but I'm taking it up with the body of Christ. And yes, we're separated by miles. We're separated by walls right now. We're separated because our government says we have to be. But you know what? God kind of supersedes miles in distance. He really supersedes walls. And since he's the one that puts governments in place, I kind of think he supersedes government too. And he said, do it till I come back. So we're going to do it together. Whatever you've got, that works. I considered... I don't know if I've told this story before, but I had a professor in college who uh, told me, and the whole class, I forget which class it was, but told me, quote, you cannot do communion with blue Gatorade and pizza. It doesn't work. It's not the elements. It's not the right elements. To which my response was, do you have 2% alcohol content wine and wafers with unleavened bread? He didn't like my response. Apparently, I was being a smart aleck. I don't know. And so I considered buying a pizza and getting some blue Gatorade. We're not going to do that because you know what? It wouldn't be from the right heart. It would be to prove somebody wrong. And that's not the right way to do communion either. So I've just got a hunk of Italian bread that I bought at Rob's Market about a week ago. It's gone a tiny bit stale because it's been out in the air for the past hour. But whatever you have, if you've got to get a cornflake, whatever you have with you, that's what you can use because this is not, oop, dropped it. That's good. That's not, great. Now it's a slightly dirty, slightly stale hunk of Italian bread. You know what that says to me? God's still good. 
God's still in control because this is just a representation of his body. And I hope that you're going to proclaim him until he comes. Proclaim him with me together. I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll partake semi together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can come together and praise you through, through music, through your word, through communion. And yes, this is not the way they did it 2,000 years ago, but the heart's what matters. God, I ask that I'm taking this in a worthy manner, that I'm taking it to proclaim you, not, not to show I'm worthy, or not, uh, not to show that I'm, I, I, I'm holy, not to show that I'm sanctified, not to show everybody else how great I am, no, but to proclaim you in a room that currently has five people in it. I want to proclaim you. Father, thank you for sending your son to die for me, to have his body broken for me, which we just celebrated last month when we, with Easter there. We praise you, and it's in the name of that precious son, Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Let's partake together. I will say that the, um, the worst part of communion, if there can be, being the pastor now that leads the communion is how long should you chew before you swallow? And uh, when nobody else is in the room, it comes, becomes a little bit even more prevalent of how long should I chew? It's all right. That shows you a little bit into my brain. I want to say one other thing before we take up the cup together, and I've just got some water here. Sam's Club water. Good stuff, right? I wanted to say this during the sermon and I forgot and God reminded me because he's good. If you ever say to yourself, I'm worthy to take communion, you're not worthy to take communion. I'm not worthy to take communion. I can partake in communion because my Lord died for me and rose again. I was talking to one of my congregation members here just today and I said, you and I are deserving and worthy of not a single good thing. We're deserving of hell. We're deserving of pain and we're deserving of punishment. But God said, I'll, do, I'll give you something else. And that's why I can take this up and that's why you can take it up. So nope, on this Thursday night at 6.07, I'm not worthy. But I can partake because Christ is worthy in me and because he's sanctifying me each and every day. I'm gonna pray and then uh, we'll all partake together, shall we? Father, again, we come before you. I want to thank you that I'm not worthy because it means that you can be worthy in me. I recognize the fact, Father, that I'm a, I'm a dirty, rotten, broken sinner, but I'm also a child of the one true king. That that's what I was, but what I am now is something far more, not because of me, but because of him. Father, help me never to forget that, never to take it for granted, and therefore proclaim him till the day he decides to come back. It's in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, that we pray, amen.